to the seven churches, seven letters of Christ. Each church is sort of typified uh, by the people inside of it and given a bit of a, a, a label. We've been giving them labels, but Christ has been directly addressing each one of these and showing his concern, giving mostly words of commendation and in some cases only words of rebuke. Uh, today, this, this letter is one of the maybe more challenging ones. Um, not a lot of commendation here in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the church in Sardis, which we are calling the sleepwalking church. So let's read this scripture first and then, uh, and then look at it together. And here's what we read in the book of Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of God. Father, would you open our hearts and our minds and allow us now to heed the message that you have for us in your timeless word and apply that to our day today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I remember in college, one of the trademarks, hallmarks of my friend group was to go to a city and we would hacky sack in the city. So it's, it's silly, but we'd have a complete circle and you'd have to do a total hack. Everybody um, kicks the ball without it falling and that kind of thing. And then we'd celebrate by eating a donut after, afterwards. And that's just sort of one of the things we did. Everybody had different sleeping habits, of course. I remember one night I was in a dead sleep and uh, my roommates wanted to do a hacky sack somewhere in northern Pennsylvania. And they literally dragged me out of bed. I didn't wake up until I was halfway down the hallway of our, of our dorm room. And when I did, I was, I was really mad. I really like sleep. And when I'm sleeping hard, I don't wake up friendly at all. I don't think they ended up getting me to go into the car that night because I think it got a little physical <laughs> when they were trying to drag me out of there, too. When you're asleep, you don't really want to be awakened. You know, this is why we have uh, alarms in the morning. They force you out of bed. Some people may be one with a, uh, you know, across the way so that you have to get up and go over there. Or parents waking up kids in the morning, making multiple trips in there, saying, okay, 30-minute warning, 25-minute, 20, all the way to 10 minutes past that warning. When you're asleep, it's kind of nice to stay asleep. And this... This letter is a picture of a church that's slowly been lulled to sleep. And they're in great peril as a result of it. And somebody needs to come and drag them out of bed and shake them 
and wake them up because they don't realize they are no longer walking in the ways they were called to walk. And they're just a church going through the motions. You know, these are, it's a collection of individuals. And in the past couple of letters we've looked at, it seems like Christ has kind of signaled out a, singled out a group of people in the church. This appears to be almost the entire church has been lulled to sleep. And they're in, they're in great peril of being uh, in a position where they're no longer walking with Christ, no longer have that lampstand that is being lit. Now, this, historically speaking, is something the church in Sardis would have as a memory. When you have a city, you've got stories. If you're a part of that city, you remember the past as well. And twice in history, this particular city had fallen to enemies for the exact same reason. One was back in 549 B.C. and the other more closely 218 B.C. Troops scaled the walls at the weak point and they got into the city and it fell because they'd set no guard at that place. Twice. So this city, as Christ comes, has in its mind a history where they have been lulled to sleep, thought they were okay, and then they weren't. Like a thief, somebody came. And took everything away from them. That was part of city lore for sure. And now this small band of believers is being told, careful because I am the one who will come like a thief. And you don't know when. It's going to be to your peril. Unless, unless Christ doesn't, it's a warning, but things can be changed. So I don't typically do three-point sermons that rhyme and everything, but this was just, it just happened. So here, I'll give you all three points so you're not worried, wondering what's going to happen next. And then we'll unpack that a little bit too. So here are the three things, and I'll kind of tease them out each, each one. It's wake up, make up, and take up. A little bit more there too. I don't expect you to remember all those things. Wake up from your spiritual slumber. Make up a plan to stay alert and alive. You'll see this again. And take up the high calling of walking with Christ. All right? Wake up, make up, and take up. So let's start with the first one, which is wake up from your spiritual slumber. And we'll take a look at the first couple of verses here uh, just to remind you of that. So he's written this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis, and each time there, the, Christ is given a designation, and after he identifies who he is, he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. That's the first issue. Their slumber has led to at least two trademarks, two things that show that they're asleep. Uh, one of them is hypocrisy. And the other one appears to be apathy. So this morning, for example, you've got a people gathered together here in this place. And you may identify uh, yourself as a follower of Christ. And perhaps one time your faith was vibrant and real and alive, but you've slowly fallen asleep. Here are two signals, perhaps, that you are sleepwalking along with the church in Sardis. One is hypocrisy. You have a reputation of being alive, but actually, you're dead. There's man's perspective, there's what we see, what we can measure, and then there's God's perspective. Last week, Jesus said, I am the one who searches hearts and minds. I know what's really going on inside. 
And there were, of course, during the days of Jesus, a whole group of people who did all the religious things. They attended church. They gave. They did all the stuff you're supposed to do. But Jesus came to them and said, you're whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but you are dead on the inside. That's exactly the message that he had for this group of people here together in Sardis. And because of that, what we see is not what's really true. And, and eventually, what's in your heart will come out even in your deeds. He says, your deeds are, are lacking. You look like you got everything together. I know what's happening on the inside. And that's going to have some application eventually on the outside as well. You know, I've, I've told some of you back, there was a time when I was in high school. And I actually became a believer during my high school days. And I was very serious about my faith. Once I really laid hold of uh, who Christ was and um, I didn't have, you know, severe problems I was running from, God just revealed himself to me as the one true living God and said, come follow me. I'm like, I'll lay everything down to follow you. I'm all in. And that's what I was, that's, I could not understand any other way of opening up the scriptures and seeing what it means to follow Christ any other way to live life. But there were lots of kids around me, lots of teenagers around me, who had a different approach. They would show up to church, they were involved maybe in a youth group, but they were doing some things off the grid that did not line up with what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And you know, people who don't believe in that can see that pretty clearly and pretty quickly. So in my school, in my high school, there was a group, and some of you heard this, uh, of kids called the anti-anti-anti-Christians. They really hated Christians. And the reason they hated them was because they saw the hypocrisy. There was a reason why. They said, you know what? You, you look good, and everybody thinks you're, but I know what you're really doing. Now, in this case, they actually published an underground newspaper where they would list names of kids and actions they saw them do and distribute it among the school to out them. This was, you know, the old version. This was the Snapchat approach in the day. To, to, and now, for me, that was horrifying. On one hand, to think, how are people, you know, feeling that, that they can do this, it seems like it's really hurtful. But on the other hand, I know these kids, and why are they doing, and I know there's that struggle uh, and that pull. And that, but Christ says, follow me and follow me only. Your measurement for what it means to walk in this life is not what others are doing, but what I've called you to do. And here's the thing, when you don't, those two things don't match, you're engaged in hypocrisy. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. And Christ isn't the only one who sees it. Now, one of the dangers, of course, is that we're often, remember, if you're asleep, by the way, Christ uses the same, others in the, in the Bible, too, use a euphemism of sleep for death. If you're really dead, you, do a, you can do a good job of covering it up. You know, you, put, you got the makeup on, you're actually at the morgue, but you're looking maybe better than you did when you were alive. And that's a problem. Christ is coming to us saying, you've got to align your, your life with what people see outside with what's really happening on the inside. Or you're in danger, 
not only of sleepwalking, but of death itself. You're dead. Christ didn't call us to a dead faith. He called us to a living, vibrant encounter with the, the God of all creation who knit you in your mother's womb and who said, I've called you out of darkness into light and given you things to do. By grace through faith you've been saved, not by works. This is a gift of God. Not, you can't boast because of where you are, but guess what? He's done that so that you can walk into the good works he's prepared in advance for you to do. That's what it looks like to be a living, vibrant part of Christ's body. And yes, there's ups and downs along the way, but what's the trajectory? You might be headed towards slumber, and it could be that you're engaged in hypocrisy. But there's another thing here happening, and that's apathy. Apathy is pathos, you know, pathos, the emotional kind of experience of life. You don't have it. There's no passion. There's no emotion. You don't care anymore. I think a lot of us have lifted, gone, gone through that in the last few weeks. I, I can't, don't have the capacity to care <laughs> anymore. And we could be in danger of the same thing in our faith. You have unfinished work to do, but it doesn't seem pressing or urgent or important or making it, it doesn't make a difference, it doesn't feel like. So you just, you just don't care. You're in peril. And if you have hypocrisy and you see that in your life or apathy, you're, you're in danger. So Christ comes to you and says, wake up. It's time to wake up from your sleepwalking. And that theme is found in other places in the scripture. This isn't all-encompassing, but just consider these. You know, Paul writes in Romans 13, do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Nobody knows the exact time of Christ's return, but I can guarantee you something. It's one day closer today than it was yesterday. So that could be it's today or tomorrow. Wait, if, you're, if you are just sleepwalking, wake up. We read also in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Here's some more admonition to this church, and it had been struggling with some of the moral issues we even looked at recently, and he says, be on your guard. Like that church in, Sard in Sardis, some, but somehow they'd taken the, the, the guard duty away, and they were just moving forward. You can't do that. Be on your guard. And there's a lot of reasons why. It's not just your own wandering heart, but there are other enemies that we have. For example, 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If that doesn't make you wake up a little bit, you probably ought to. If you believe the Bible is true this morning, you have an actual enemy lurking around like a lion seeking to devour somebody. I guarantee if there was a lion at that door right now, you guys would be going the other way. We'd, we'd be calling some sort of control person. We'd be looking for the people who are the conceal and carry. <laughs> you know, like, we are alert and alive, and we're going to make sure that we're on guard because nobody wants to encounter that. Even in a zoo, you're glad there's six-inch thick glass or something. Have you ever been in a zoo where a lion roars? It's terrifying. And we've been told 
that there's somebody like that looking for a way to devour you. So if you're just apathetic and don't care, you can't be. Uh, to, this is so insightful in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus himself is tempted and he rises to the occasion. He's the second Adam. He doesn't fail where the first Adam did. And, uh, you know, he's tempted by Satan himself. And it's a wonderful scene, but at the end, this chilling comment, when the devil had fi finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Satan wasn't done. Ultimately, he was waiting for another time when the guard was down. And maybe that happened in the garden where Jesus was so weary and tired. He was, he was so overcome with what hap had to happen next. I don't know. But I do know that if Christ himself wasn't immune from these attacks, why would you be? The enemy of your soul is looking for an opportune time, looking for a way to take you at your weakness and then just attack, lurking around. And if you're asleep, you tell me, how good are your defenses when you're sleeping? If you have somebody out there, an enemy, you better set guard. Or you will be attacked, and you might be devoured. You are in peril. So be alert. Be awake. Be vigilant. Wake up. The first thing you have to realize is you need to wake up. If you don't wake up, you're going to be in peril. So, so what do you do with that? Well, wake up, and then make up. Make up a plan to stay Vigilant, to stay alert, to stay alive. That's the second point. Hopefully I've convinced you that there's a problem we all have, that we have to be aware of what's going on. So what do you do with that? Uh, Christ himself gives some solutions to it. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. This is like a, a dying fire. We've made a couple of fires recently, and you're all familiar with this too, and it seems to be dying, and you, you fan the flame, and whoosh, it can come back up. How are you fanning the flame if you feel like you're sleepwalking? Maybe it's like a trainer. If you're uh, somebody who wants to stay physically fit, you go to the gym, and you hire a trainer, and you say, hey, look, you know, I'm going to pay you to do the things I've already paid to do it's kind of a money-making scheme of sorts, right? But the reason you do that is because you're not going to, you might know the things to do, but you need someone to hold you accountable to it. Or a doctor, you know, goes, you say, okay, you've got high cholesterol. Medication is only going to do so much. You better change your diet, dude. Or an oil change in your car. If you don't get your oil changed in your car, it will go poorly at some point. It will die these are all the same things as our spiritual life as well. You wake up, what do you do? You have to strengthen what remains and is about to die. It doesn't seem like it's quite dead yet. There's still, I'm not, not dead yet, right? There's still some life in there. So what I want to give you this morning in terms of strengthening what remains is kind of a high-level assessment. I want to invite you to assess where you are if you're walking, sleepwalking right now. And then maybe to kind of get, get a pathway for waking yourself up and moving forward. And there's lots of different assessments. Here is a super high-level assessment using language that we've used before. With Christ, like Christ, and, and for Christ. So honestly assess yourself here. With Christ. And this is not 
uh, the total package, but here's a brief statement of it. What would you say? I spend time and energy cultivating a vibrant, growing relationship with the living God. Yes or no? And then let's put a scale there on 1 to 10. Where would you put yourself on that scale? Is it, uh, if you circled no, you're a 1, you're dead. <laughs> All right? And be honest. If you're satisfied with that, then, you know, God has not moved in your heart to, to give you uh, new life and open your eyes. But if you're dissatisfied, then what are you going to do about it? How are you going to strengthen what remains and is about to die? Even if you're at a one, I guess I should have a zero there, or, or a two or a three. That's with Christ. This is like Christ. I strive to reflect Christ's character in my motives, thoughts, choices, and actions. Is that true of you? Yes, you do strive to do that. No, you don't. If it's a no, then You've got to do some soul searching here, but let's assume it's yes, and to what extent do you? What, to what extent, as you go through your day, are, is that at the fore of what you're considering? Christ's character. What, what's motivating me? What am I thinking about? How am I choosing? What am I doing? And then for Christ is the last assessment. I use my resources to invest in matters that reflect God's heart for the lost and the least of these. That's a phrase that describes those who are experiencing injustice or on the margins. And what you might hear these days is the concept of something like social justice, biblical justice, God stepping in and rescuing the, the weak and those who are hurting. And it could be not just material resources, but uh, mental I issues and challenges that people are facing. Does your heart leap and your resources reflect the heart of God himself? This is adoption month, right? November too. So that's a good, good example of investing in, in, in people who don't have a mother or a father and saying, how are we going to see those who are called orphans now have someone to call mom or dad? That's actually another assessment that is available to you if you're interested. That's a high-level assessment. And then we can uh, go a little bit deeper. And there's two other assessments if you're interested. One is from the Sonship Materials, um, uh, Orphans or Children of God. And it's a front sheet and back sheet that's a, right there on, on the way out. Just a way to assess. For example, somebody who is a spiritual orphan tends to be ungrateful is complaining, bitter, has a critical spirit, and tears down others. That's the way an orphan would think. Um, but on the other side, a children of God might rely, instead rely on the Holy Spirit to guide the tongue. Praises, edifies, gives thanks, encourages. So there's a whole bunch of categories there. Uh, you're not going to leave today hopefully thinking, gosh, I don't know if I'm asleep or not. Without making any, with, don't put the effort into it, then you are asleep. Here's, here's, another, here's another one. This is from the Emotionally uh, Healthy Church, I think, um, by Peter Scazzaro. Which, by the way, Peter Scazzaro, some of you know his story. He was a pastor in Queens, the most diverse zip code of the United States of America. Growing church, church planting, all kinds of people coming. And some of you know this story. His wife came to him one day and said, I'm leaving the church which is the churchy pastor, because I don't like the pastor anymore, basically. He said, what? How's that possible? And it led him on to uh, 
quite a, a spiritual upheaval to recognize that for him, it wasn't about loving Christ anymore. He had kind of lost sight of everything that he was doing. He was basically sleepwalking, but he had all the evidence of being a, a, a world-renowned pastor who was a coveted speaker and author and church planter, and his own wife was about to leave him. He hadn't, he hadn't done the real assessments he needed to do. He was sleepwalking. And some great things came out of it, but after a long and hard bit of soul-searching, and he's made an inventory as well. This one really gets you on the, on the back end. You'll find out in certain categories if you're uh, a spiritually em and emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult. And there's different categories for this too. Um, general formation and discipleship. And, and then some components of discipleship like looking beneath the surface. Are you aware of what's happening underneath? Looking back at the past and breaking its power. Living in brokenness and vulnerability. Receiving the gift of limits. Embracing grief and loss. Making incarnation your model for loving well in real relationships with others. You know what? I've taken this before. I'm changing diapers in some areas. Still, I am an infant in some areas. And, and unfortunately, some of that took church planting for me to realize that, whoa. Because when you first come to Christ and you're alive and vibrant and then you develop patterns and you just stop looking at it, you can't afford to do that. You'll be like the church in, church in Sardis. We've got to get that guard back on. And it takes some self-reflection, self-evaluation. And if you don't know what to do or how to do that, here's a couple of resources for you. And we'll put these on, on, we'll send these out electronically as well so that you can print them out later if you want to or don't have access to them now. So Christ comes and he says, strengthen what remains is about to die. And some of that is hopefully obvious to you or, or is going to be but he says more than that. He doesn't just say, you know, strengthen what remains. He also says, remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. In other words, remember the basics. He's telling this church, you're sleepwalking. You've kind of forgotten that the fundamental reality of what it means to be walking with a living God. So one of the things you need to do is remember what you received and what you heard. You look back and you recall to your mind the very basics of your faith. And one of the phrases that we've used off and on, and I don't know when this became a popular phrase, at least in our circles, was pre is preach the gospel to yourself daily. I mean, that's kind of code for remembering what you received and you heard. Uh, Jesus Christ, you know, he died on the third day. He rose again from the dead. He, you're forgiven. You are, as some of these sonship materials, for example, say, you are far worse off than you ever imagined. You're way more sinful. It's like, how deep does the, the, the hole go? <laughs> it's like a vortex, your sin. But the good news of the gospel is you're also loved more than you ever dared imagine. You are simultaneously worse off than you ever think and more loved than you ever dared to hope. Because in the face of that pit, of despair and your sin that feels never-ending, Christ died on your behalf while you were still sinners to demonstrate his love for you. So that's a basic gospel reality. That grid, if I start taking it into my mind and letting it seep to every fiber of my being, is going to affect the way I respond when somebody comes to me 
in disappointment with something I've done to remember those basics. Or, or, or when, you know, a husband and a wife in the midst of conflict or a family that's in turmoil or a nation. Remember the basics. Remember what you've received and heard. But it's not just remembering. It's also renewing your commitment. Because he goes on to say, obey it and repent. Obedience is a commitment. Repentance is stopping going one way, heading toward another. So you remember, but then you also, I think, remember that zeal that you had to walk in these ways. So this is a renewal of your commitment. Seek to align what people see publicly with who you are privately. Admit your passion has waxed and waned, that you might be in the middle of some spiritual REM right now. And you need to be awakened from your slumber. And renew your commitment. Now, just finally, wake up from your spiritual slumber, make up a plan to stay alert and alive, and then third is take up. Take up the high calling of walking with Christ. And we see that in starting in verse 4. Christ says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. You have a high calling to walk in the ways of Christ. It's a beautiful calling. It's a calling that is distinctive. As we've been talking these past few weeks from the culture around you, what that looks like is something that we continue to explore, but it has to be distinct and different. There is a, you have a different aim, a different target. You want to walk in the ways of God to be like that bride in Ephesians 5 who's presented without blemish. There are entire movements that have called the church, the big C church, away from this lull of sleepwalking, which happens in cycles. The Reformation movement was one of those moments. Wake up from your slumber, church. You have forgotten what it means to be saved by grace through faith. And now all of a sudden you're buying salvation from God. Can't be done. And a whole movement was born. Or maybe setting aside a, a, a care or concern for the things that are purity. The pietist movement looked around and said, we don't care about being holy anymore or separate or distinct or different. We've become too much like the culture. And they said, no more. We're going to call ourselves to be, to be holy, to care about things that matter. And of course, you can get slowly lulled into legalism. I understand, but a lot of people dismiss being holy and label it legalism simply because it's too hard to do and it's more convenient to look like everybody else around you. You might be sleepwalking. You could be a legalist, perhaps, but it could be that you're just making an excuse to engage in your sin. Do whatever you want to do. You might be in peril if that's the case. My high school friends, again, and I, those of us who really wanted to be serious about our faith, used to say co-110 to each other. It's Colossians 1.10. I pray that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. What My, I mean, wow. I look back and I, I say, that's the kind of vibrancy and faith I want to cultivate now, that my heart's desire is simply to live in a way that's worthy of the high calling that Christ has called me to. I don't want to be satisfied with little crumbs. 
I want the filet mignon faith that really is like taking deep the things of God and seeing uh, things in a completely different perspective and with Christ, like Christ, for Christ. This is what I want to do. In him I live and move and have my being. Lord, let me live a life worthy of your calling. That's the kind of thing that Christ does to cause wonderful movements that seem fantastic but also sometimes are largely unknown. But there's something happening. Are you asleep? Paul was asleep. This guy we quoted from who said, be on guard, wake up from your slumber. And Christ met him on the Damascus road, blinded him, shook him awake, and then he was recklessly abandoned to the things of God. That's what he was committed to. He wanted to be obedient, have a heart of repentance, take up the high calling of walking with Christ to the end. The modern missions movement began with the Moravians, largely, 15, 1600s, a group of people who were refugees seeking a place to live. And so since they had so little and their hearts were so filled with God, they went to the ends of the earth, literally. Some of them volunteering to be slaves so they could share the gospel with those who had no choice. Those are people who have woken up. They've, they've made up a plan I am going to give everything to Christ, even my own freedom. I'm willingly giving up. And they took up the high calling of walking with Christ. Made mention of Keith Green a couple of weeks ago, dude from the 70s, 100% 70s. But uh, he, and he, he was very passionate. He wrote one song called Asleep in the Light. This is just a, a piece of it. He was convinced just a few decades ago that the American church was asleep. And needed to be woke, woken up. And he, this is just a piece of what he said. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. And he cares for your needs. And you just lay back. You keep soaking it in. The world is sleeping in the dark. That the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. You can't even get out of bed. You won't lift your, your finger or, or give one thing or lay yourself down on behalf of Christ because you're asleep too. So don't be asleep Wake up. And, and the opportunity for us, I hope you have some resources here to do a little soul shaking this morning and just wake yourself up and say, hey, look, this can be overwhelming, but that thing right there, Christ, change that. I need you desperately. And if you don't know what that looks like, that's why you have a church, a body of believers. There are people who've gone before you and you say, how do I do this? And most of the times you'll get this response, I don't know. But I have some ideas about where I've seen growth along the way. Come along. Let's do this together. Let's take up this high calling of walking with Christ. Let's not be satisfied with sleepwalking anymore. Let's recklessly abandon all things for the sake of God. Don't be asleep. You have so much. We have so many resources. One of the things I miss about even Ashish being here 
you know, one of our, our partners in India, is, is the, the, the never-ending stories of people who have nothing but will walk miles and miles just to hear somebody open up the Bible. And there are plenty of people who just won't even get out of bed. From, or maybe you passed 20 churches to get here this morning to your preferred one. We have so much. What are we doing with it? Oftentimes we look at what we don't have, but we need to take a look at what we do, and we need to shake ourselves a little bit and make sure that we're not like the church in Sardis. Father, would you this morning rouse us from our spiritual slumber? All of us are probably some degree of sleepwalking, but we don't want that. We want to be fully alert, fully alive, and put a guard on the watchtower of our souls so that like a thief in the night, you don't come and steal away our lampstand. Or, 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 or Satan himself or some enemy doesn't come over the wall and devour us and tear us up with bitterness and anger and jealousy and rage and immorality and hate in spite, everything that's opposite of that which is to be typical of those who have been called from darkness into light. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what typifies somebody who's walking fully awake, recognizing that they haven't completely arrived, but making a plan for sure, taking up this high calling, waking, waking up to the realities of where we are and falling again on the mercies of a God who has never fallen asleep. That night in the garden when Jesus bled tears of uh, uh, sweating te- blood, his disciples were sleeping, but he did not. He set the guard up and he carried out the task to the end and so we thank you we finish with a note of mercy and grace that we have a God who understands what we face and who comes to us in our time of need and we can find grace and mercy even if we come and say Lord Jesus I am sleepwalking today rouse us from our slumber remind us of your goodness your mercy your grace but then also leave us unsettled if we don't care help us and keep us from apathy and from hypocrisy. We plead in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.